Hey, dorks, coming at you from the Lone Star State, a pop culture podcast about movies, TV, toys, and other dorky things with a twist of real life dad stuff, too. So here he is, Lucky the Dork Dad. This is the Dork Dad Podcast. What's up, dorks? Lucky back with another episode of the Dork Dad Podcast. Now, I'm recording, I recorded this episode on August 22nd, which is the same day as the DC fandom. And I just have to say, I did catch a couple things so far. Uh, one, the main thing, the Batman trailer. Uh, first impression, badass. You know I'm a Batman fan, though, but I really like what they've done with this trailer. And, you know, that's probably not even everything they filmed, right? They still have more filming to do. But so far from that, I am sold. I really like it a lot. Or as Jim Carrey would say. I like you a lot. So a couple of things that I caught so far was the um, Suicide Squad video game. uh, Whatever that was called. That looks pretty dope. I believe by Rockstar Games. Um, Yeah, I'm down with that one. The other cool one was the Gotham Knights. Which that looks pretty badass. If you haven't seen the trailer, um, I don't care, I'll spoil it. But supposedly Batman dies at the beginning of the trailer. And he leaves a video recording for Red Hood, Robin, Nightwing, and Batgirl to take over as saviors of Gotham. And they also tease the Court of Owls. So that should be a fun game. We'll see what that's about. All those three coming out sometime next year. So that's the dork stuff for this episode. Um, On today's episode, I had the pleasure of doing something a little different than I normally do. But I had the pleasure of talking to Mr. Frank Meyer. Mr. Frank Meyer, he is a jack of all trades. You could say he's a musician, writer, songwriter, filmmaker. Um, producer. I mean, he's got an extensive resume uh, being part of many bands. Uh, He's worked for NBC, the G4 and Esquire networks. He's done all kinds of cool things. And like I said, I had the the pleasure of of talking to him, getting to his brain a little bit. Um, Just like a lot of people, he was uh, hit pretty hard with the, the whole COVID this whole epidemic thing, um, he was furloughed like a lot of people, but he didn't let that stop him or his creativity. He has done a whole bunch of stuff since then and still continues to work even though he's at home. So take a listen to um, uh, me and Frank Meyer talk a little bit. And of course, we ended with some dork dad questions. So again, it was a lot of fun. So listen in on the Dork Dad and Mr. Frank Meyer.
I can never figure out uh, with Zoom, like, like if you don't have the hot link, like sometimes people just send me the code. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know where to, what to do <laughs> with, with this. Anyways. Yeah, Zoom is still, uh, still new to me. The kids use it all the time for school. But... No, I know. And like, I mean, shit, dude, whole businesses are like arcing their entire communications on this like one platform that a year ago no one even like used. I know, it's <laughs> crazy. Know? It's crazy. So how uh, you, are you run, are you using the video aspect on this or no, not? Is, is it no. just for reference or you're gonna air it? Yeah, it's just so we can see each other. Um, okay, I'm only using okay. audio. Yeah. Awesome. Great. That's what I thought. I just want to make sure. because uh, I wouldn't put this big bright light annoyingly in the background if if it was gonna be used. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's cool. So I don't know what you're used to, but it's gonna be pretty casual. Right on. I mainly talk about like uh pop culture stuff, movies, TVs and stuff. So this will be a little something different for me, uh, which is good. Okay. But I'm I'm really stoked you uh, said you'd uh, come on the show, so I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Well, thank you. I'm stoked that more people are kind of opening up this conversation about like being fathers and parenting and stuff, but also like doing it from like different points of view and being more creative about it, not just having it be like, let me tell you the biological facts you need to know when you're trying, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I like that people are like coming at it with from like different points of view and bringing in like their own pop culture and you know, rock and roll and hip hop and just all these different aspects into that, that thesis, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Cause my original thought for the show was, you know, I was going to have my kids come on we'd talk about stuff, but you know, they weren't having it. Their kids and like, no, yeah, we're do that. they think it's dumb. Like content around your kids. Cause what if they just go crazy and you're like, ah, like, yeah, but so, <laughs> they weren't in it. So I just started a solo show and then just here recently, you know, it's hard to talk to yourself for uh, you know, 30, 40 minutes. So no I started, started bringing on people just to, have something to talk about, something, somebody to, to bounce stuff off of. So Right on. Cool, man. Sure. Uh, two quick questions. One, can you hear me okay? Is the audio okay? Yeah, you're fine. Okay, great. You're fine. Uh, and then and, and you do end up editing it in the sense that, like, if I fumble through something and I want to back myself up a sentence, is that okay? Yeah. Or you, just yeah, you just tell me, hey, if you want to tell right. me, hey, uh, can you I take mean, that out? I mean, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, I'm not going to say No, I don't care. We, uh, we can cuss, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Okay, cool. There's, there's no restrictions, but do you, do you have a no restrictions? <laughs> do you have a time limit? Uh, not really. I mean, that's kind of why I wanted to start it earlier, just because I was just sitting around. I was like, man, if I'm just sitting around for four hours, I'm gonna be like burnt by the time I talk to him. If, if he's just sitting around, <laughs> let's just do it. I got you. I got you. All right. Well, Mr. Frank Meyer, right, the Renaissance man, right? So, yes, sir. so just go over your resume, musician, writer filmmaker you know app designer what or producer what 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 have you yeah, done up to this point i've had a i've had a really um multi-headed career uh and i guess it's just because I, i'm kind of a creative guy and i'm kind of a motivated guy and and i'm someone that when i get an idea uh or, or a burst of energy and i'm like oh i want to do this thing i usually do it and see it through uh, so I spent my earlier days as a musician and I was in punk rock bands and metal bands. I still am a musician, but that was sort of my focus earlier on. But also I had to like make money and it's hard to make money playing in punk rock bands. 
so I was a writer on the side. That was always, which when I think about it now, it's like a ridiculous backup plan to being a creative <laughs> is to like I'll have a, a second creative job. But it, writing is a little bit more solid because you can like go write for a magazine or a weekly or, you know, every every town has like their weekly newspapers and their, you know, daily newspapers. You can always hustle gigs with those guys. So I always kind of was just hustling music and writing and music and writing until I had my kid. And that's kind of what made me kind of get more serious and step up my game is I just knew all these like punk rock musician dads that like were just in a van touring all the time and not really raising their kids. And I didn't want to be one of those dudes. So I decided I could tour less, raise my kid more. And that made me get a job in production that long story short is that took me into the TV world. I spent a lot of years at G4 TV and then Esquire Network. I was basically in the NBC family as an in-house producer director. That led me to Fender Musical Instruments. And the thing you were talking about with the app is that they built an app called Fender Play that was like a high-tech digital five camera, 4K way of teaching how to play guitar, bass, or ukulele. And because I had this music background and production background and writing background, and guitar background, they brought me in to sort of spearhead what that production would look like and what the workflow would be and how you would do it and how much you could do. And so we did that for four years until COVID hit and people started getting laid off. And yeah. now I've been working from home, and but I've been doing all my production stuff from home. I'm also a filmmaker. I directed a documentary film that came out a few months ago called Risen, the story of Shron Hellraiser Smith. It's a documentary about a Wu-Tang Clan rapper that had a brain aneurysm and while I've been in COVID, uh, I just finished my second documentary, which is called Freestyle 101, and it's about the history of uh, freestyle rap. That's that's pretty in interesting. That uh, Wu Tang. I'm a busy dude, man. Is it, is I don't that... really, I don't sleep much. I just type and write and make music. Is yeah. that Wu Tang out already, or what, where can we find that? Yeah, so that one came out right at the beginning of all this. Like literally in the beginning of March, our movie came out, and we were like nothing can stop us now and then a worldwide <laughs> pandemic came but in a weird way actually i think it in terms of the the because it, it hit amazon prime first and i think in okay. terms of like streams and digital sales it actually helped the movie because suddenly like the entire world was home and searching amazon looking for content so we got pretty good business those first few months when we thought we would just be dead in the water um so that movie is called risen the story of shron hellraiser smith and the quick background on that is that early on in my music career when I was trying to pay rent uh, my day job for a while was I worked as a publicist at record labels which essentially meant and I started off as an intern and then a junior publicist and then a assistant right. publicist and then a junior assistant publicist and then I was the publicist and then I was the head publicist and then I decided I don't want to do publicity anymore <laughs> I hate this fucking game but um at the sort of height of my doing well in that world, I was working at this label that had this Wu-Tang Clan offshoot group called Sons of Man. And I was a, even though I came from punk rock uh, and, you know, metal and rock and roll, I was a huge hip hop fan and I loved Wu-Tang. And I had all the Sons of Man and Killer Priest and all, you know, Killer Army and all the stuff that Grave Diggers, it was happening then. Right, right. And so I was already into that stuff and when i found out we signed this group i literally went it's like i'm ballsy went into my boss's office and was like i want to be working in the sons of man you know <laughs> album i want to be the point person i want to be the guy on the set for the videos and then take them to the source and take them to rap pages and they were like cool you got it they were like you could do the cheap trick record and i love cheap trick yeah but 
Sons of Man. I was like, I'll take Sons of Man because I know Cheap Trick's going to be fine without me, but I need to be involved in Sons of Man. So I did that record and Reza was the young guy in the group and I was the young guy at the label and we always just kind of got along and we stayed friends. And then he had a, we, we worked together over the years and um, he had a brain aneurysm and I was at NBC and the long story short, because I mean, I could talk for an hour on this subject, <laughs> uh, is that I um, said I should start filming interviews with him and I ended up doing a documentary film about his recovery from that aneurysm because he lost the whole left side of his body and the ability to rap Shit. and he was kind of hiding that at the time like he wasn't telling he was telling inter people in interviews sort of what happened but he wasn't like telling people he couldn't rap and he was kind of pulling the tupac where he had like all these unreleased acapellas yeah, and yeah. He was just sending it to producers and having them put out new hellraiser material and for like the first few years no one knew the difference but i was like well you're going to run out of acapellas, dude. And, and at some point, like they're going to start hearing that all the references are like Bush and now we're in Obama and then we're in Trump. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. so at some point, like through the movie, he was able to kind of just, you know, it sort of tell the world and have this movie that's told his story. And all that stuff. Yeah. I definitely got to check that out. So it's cool. Uh, so you're in, you're in Long Beach, right? Yes, sir. Have you born and raised or um, did you born move there? In Los Angeles. Born and raised in Los Angeles. I mean, Long Beach is part of Los Angeles, so technically I'm still in the same city. But if you live here, it's sort of like on the East Coast, like the difference between the boroughs or something like Long Beach and L.A. are like as different as can be. But technically, it's all the same count. I was just wondering if you if you headed out to California just because of your creative uh, your outlets. No, or I think I, it's just I always think, been around you then pretty much. Yeah, I think I think just growing up in 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 the Hollywood and the Valley, like in the eighties, you know, I'm a little older, like, like in the eighties and early nineties and stuff, just kids I went to school with, like their parents were actors or they were actors or this kid's dad was a producer or whatever, which only just made it that like the idea of becoming a musician, like my brother's an actor, the idea for him when he was a kid to become an actor, like if you lived in, in Kansas city, you might not know anyone in show business. You're gonna so, be a farmer, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, or you just might. I mean, or maybe you're a really great actor, but like you just don't know anyone. You don't have any point of reference. You're like, how would I even do that? It's not in my town. If I don't know. Whereas if you live in LA or New York or San Francisco or somewhere where there's like an art culture happening in mass, then if you have any access to it, and we did because we grew up in a time, and my dad was my stepdad was like a, a showbiz entertainment lawyer, so we had mm. just just enough. Got to go to a couple cool concerts when we were kids. Got to go to a couple backstage things. Just enough things that when we were little kids, I think it like started making our minds go like, "Ooh, I could do that." Yeah, you pick like up, I, you know, I went to some concerts and was like, "I want to do that." Yeah, yeah, I bet it's a lot easier. You know, we make contacts and. You get to know people. People get to know you. But uh, it was yeah. different back then too, because the internet wasn't around. So yeah. you, you know what I mean. Like the idea now, even just like what we're doing here, like or what I've been doing during COVID, that you could just make this kind of quality material out of your place with not like tons and tons of gear um, didn't exist back then. So you know, when you thought about, I want to be an actor, I want to be a rock star, like it really was like. A, a pipe dream like right right there was no 
accept it unless you knew someone who was kind of doing it and you're like, well, oh, that kid does it. Now, now you have people on YouTube on freaking TikTok that are becoming stars. Well, and there's how to videos on everything. I mean, like when I was a kid and I don't want to be all like when I was a kid, get off my lawn. <laughs> but like there weren't videos on how to learn how to play guitar. Like right. there just weren't. There wasn't this, you know, when I learned, there wasn't even like VHS videos. Or if there was, I never heard or saw of them or maybe there was, I guess. But like I had to sit there in my room by myself like a little nerd and just play and play and play and play and play. And when I was a kid, it was just horror movies, pizza, guitar, horror movies, pizza, guitar. You know, I just, <laughs> all I did is just like focus, hyper focus on my things and my thing was guitar. Um, but now I, you know, like it's easier to learn stuff. I learn all the time tutorials when I'm like on Adobe Premiere or something. And I'm like, how do I do this effect? I just jump on YouTube and watch a video and figure it out. Do you think uh, kids nowadays, I mean, my kids are spoiled, but uh, do you think kids nowadays, they uh, they kind of take it for granted how easy it is for, for them to just, anything they want to know or just it's, it's at the touch of their fingers, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely think that it's different growing up with that easy access to things. And even, you know, even I'm sure you're the same way, like you're watching a movie and you're like, where have I seen that actor before? And you yeah. look it up on yeah. the spot, like that wasn't an option until recently but now that it's an option like i do it constantly yeah. and so of course it alters the way that you you process information and it alters the way your expectations of something because like if you're watching something and you feel like you have unanswered questions that are one step away from you like there's this un undercurrent of like dissatisfaction and you probably can't put your finger on it, but that's what it is, is that you're used to answering every question you want on the spot. And when you can't, it gets a little frustrating and you have this psychological like, <laughs> where is that other movie that Van Damme is in? You know what I mean? And yeah. But like years ago, I feel like we never had that little extra step of angst of going like, damn, I wish I could just find that out. It's going to bug me now for 15 years. It's like, whatever, dude. I, I either don't care or I, if I care by the time I get home, I'll look it up, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, I just think kids, you know, I don't. I just hope they appreciate it down the line, or they actually know what it is to have to work to look for something. I mean, kids nowadays they don't know what an, uh, encyclopedias are. You know what I mean? They just yeah. Google, having to go to the library to do a report. Now everything's at yeah, the touch I mean, of their fingers. Even books, I feel like most kids, unless they're assigned a book from school, don't really take the option of reading a book. Not that they don't read, but they don't necessarily read from hardcover books anymore. It's just not the way their generation is growing up processing information. And I think just learning in general, I think, you know, teachers have it easier too, but on some points. I remember, and this was last year before this pandemic, going to my uh, kids' open house and um, the teachers talking about, you know, what they're going. When you go to an open house, they talk about what they're learning and whatnot. And yep. and I remember a couple of the teachers were like, well, if they have any questions, there's YouTube videos on it. I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, but yeah. I guess that's just. You know what? You know, I had a moment like that when um... – when I was a kid, we used to go to Chuck E. Cheese, you know, Chuck E. Cheese. Everyone knows Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. What was their thing? Like, it's a good time place. 
for kids or whatever. Uh, and when I was a kid, again, and I, at some point this changed and it just changed during the period that I wasn't going to Chuck E. Cheese because between when you are a kid and when you have a kid, there's no reason to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Right, right. Somewhere in that period, Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> changed their business model because when I was a kid, much like it, in parts of Disneyland and Magic Mountain, there was these animatronic figures yes. that were actually up there and they were like singing and dancing and they had moves yes. and it was a good time jug band you know like a little scary but yeah and they were kind of creepy <laughs> but that was sort of the charm of chuck e cheese yeah. then you know 25 or whatever years go by between or whatever i don't even know i'm sure what 25 whatever however long when i was a chuck kid it went to chucky e, and when i took my daughter there they just dropped screen i kept wondering like where's the big giant robots and they just dropped screens down and they showed a movie of a bunch of dudes dressed in costumes like the banana <laughs> splits just running around to like benny hill music <laughs> like and acting out skits and i was like what you've got to be kidding me that's what Chuck E. cheese is now just a character in a youtube video basically that they show on the screen yeah that's bonkers, bonkers. I, rem- I remember I like those it. the scary Chuck E. cheese yeah I remember there was a, I think at Disneyland there used to be in that, you know, that old timey area where there's like the, the big, with the, the boat and stuff. And I think they used to have a band that was sort of like a, was the, another scary Chuck E. Cheese robot band. Like, was, World. Uh, <laughs> I forget the name. It was, there was like a bunch of bears, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was like a bear, some sort of bear related bear band, yeah. ragtime, jamboree, yeah. bonanza. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. Let's talk about um, COVID. I mean, is it still bad over there or California? Yeah, I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, people for the most part wear masks, uh, at least certainly in like crowds and stuff. Where I'm at in Long Beach, people are pretty cool. If you go down towards Huntington Beach where they're not as cool there, like they don't give a fuck about masks. They're just like, (laughs) like I mean, meaning the law tells the there's certain things the laws dictate. So like you can't be open up as a bar if you don't have patio seating and food essentially, right. which is screwed many, many, many bars and many, many music uh, establishments because they don't have food and they're not prepared to do a patio thing and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so that sucks. But the places that do that have some sort of patio or have got those parklet things where they're like extending uh, into the street and basically allowing places to set up front patios and like sort of like, in, like the way San Francisco parts of San Francisco are laid out right. and stuff. And that's kind of saving a lot of the restaurants because now they can put 30, 40 seats, you know, out there and, you know, I mean, if they're spread out, they can essentially do it and people wear masks until they sit down to eat and then they sit down to eat. Uh, it's being handled pretty responsibly. You know, there's always going to be some dickhead that's going to have a hard time being told to wear a mask. But for the most part, people are cool. Uh, I played an acoustic gig a week ago for the first time in six months where me and one of the guys from my rock band, not the whole band, not the drummer, but just me and the bass player set up acoustic on one side of this outdoor patio thing. And then there's all these tables. So we're kind of like facing all the tables. So if I'm looking down and I see a table and then another table in the back, and then the guy set up all the monitors going down so that no one has to come up front 
to what to hear the music. Everyone sits down. You're everyone's eating, but they had a full bar, and we played a, an hour of a acoustic Ramones and Iron Maiden and some of our own songs and had a grand old time. And it was sort of kind of like playing a concert. That's so, kind of that cool, kind great. of a unplugged yeah. vibe. I mean, that's all you can do now, and you got to use your judgment, and you just got to hope people aren't dicks about it, but. Long Beach is a cool town and people are pretty respectful. It's got kind of a small town. It's a big city, but it has sort of a small town vibe. Um, so for the most part, people look out for each other. But, you know, it's a big city, so there's always going to be jerks. So what I kind of want to get into, too, is how COVID um, kind of puts you where you're at right now. And I want to kind of talk about the things you have going on. Um, I know you sent me some stuff. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but if you want to talk about that, what you've been doing since the COVID epidemic. Here. Yeah, I mean, I've just been doing whatever I can to either a make money, hustle or just stay busy because you can only binge watch so much television. Um, I got <laughs> first I was uh, we were all um, work from home and then we were furloughed and then a bunch of us were laid off. And at that point, I went on unemployment like everybody else. And it's now been several months. And I've been doing hustling here and there. And um, But the main thing is that I just decided to really lean hard into what I do. I already had a little studio set up. I play, you know, damn near every instrument. I can program drums. I'm a singer. Uh, and I write and, and, and play in pretty much any style that I want or have a reason to play. Um, and I also, I'm a filmmaker and an editor, and that was part of my day job. And um, so I kind of just decided that, like, okay, I've got this documentary on freestyle rap that is needs to be edited. I was hoping to hire someone else to do it, <laughs> but now I have nothing to do and no job and four to six to forever to work on it so i decided to just take that on myself and it would kind of step up my editing game along the way and that way maybe by the time i was done with that i could you know jump right back into freelance editing and stuff because i kind of forced my you know i mean i you know i was a director producer for the last few years and editing is one of those things where software is constantly changing you kind of need to get back right. into it really right. kind of get like get your game up but that's what i did for the last four months so now i'm killing it um, I was, I had already worked this deal with, um, the company suicide girls to do a, to yeah. be the music supervisor and composer for a documentary that I'm showtime. I'm familiar with them. <laughs> yeah. So my friend, uh, Sarah Remich was a suicide girl and she became their videographer and she went on tour with them and made a documentary film about the tour and they sold it to showtime. And when she was sort of telling me about all this, she was like, yeah, and I'm just going to go look for a music supervisor. I was like, I will do that for you. I want to do that. That sounds awesome. So that's another thing that was right before COVID. And I just went like, all right, I got a whole bunch of time now. So I'd spend like half my day editing the freestyle movie. And then I'd switch over to going into composer mode and scoring her movie. And I brought in a few other musicians to work with me on that. So those were two big projects I took on. And then along the way, I just been like my band, the Streetwalking Cheetahs. We recorded some stuff using sort of remote technology and garage band and trading stems. And then I'm in a band called Blind House. We did a few of those um, songs and recordings and just been releasing stuff. I did a solo song called Repetition Repeat. And my friend Aubrey Main directed a video for that. And that was sort of like my little solo debut. It's like this 80s new wave song with this really hilarious video you can watch on YouTube. Yeah. 
Um, I was gonna bring to that up. To, I was gonna bring yeah, that up. I mean, I mean and it's funny because all of the songs that one included are, that I've been doing are all kind of inspired by the pandemic, and it wasn't really a plan. I wasn't like I'm gonna write songs about the pandemic for six months. It's just like what the fuck else are you gonna write about right now? And it's it's a weird time. So repetition and repeat is about you know like just sitting at home and doing the same thing over and over again. And that's what the video is about. War Zone by the Cheetahs is about like well and we wrote this right before the protest we're like what if it got really ugly and people just started riding in the streets and it just like the whole society went crazy and then it happened so we we didn't expect that and then yeah the purge totally and then um you know we're i've been doing a lot and then i did this benefit song called flatten the curve that was sort of like this all-star song and that's another thing like i wrote it about what was happening and kind of encouraging people to stay inside and be responsible and we got all these different artists and i made the video at home another home project so i don't know i've just been trying to do what i do and keep doing it man yeah i really dig that uh repetition repeat it kind of gave me uh it gave me a 90s vibe um almost like um it reminded me like a an aerosmith video alicia silverstone yeah um, she she's really funny that director man she's great but uh i kind of miss that you know um whatever happened to music videos you know what i mean Kids nowadays, well, they don't ever know yeah, what they are. I, mean, I like when they told a story. Video, yeah, everything. Bands do videos now, but now they just film themselves playing. Yeah. And that's cool, but you're right. The old days, there'd be stories. Remember, there used to be little scenes before the videos, too, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, it'd yeah. be like, like, you know, get on the bus, Waldo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I miss that, man. I mean, but, you know, again, back to kids, their attention span is, you know, 30 seconds or less, you know, anything more than that. You know, they move on to something else. That was kind of a funny project because Aubrey and I had worked together and we were just kind of mutual fans of each other. I mean, we're friends and mutual fans of each other. I, she was doing these short films and she her films had this vibe. They were they had this bright color palette, lots of yellows and blues and pinks and just this very bright color palette, all of her stuff. And she's very upbeat and funny, but also has this very dark sense of humor and does like really, really raunchy comedy, but somehow makes it seem super <laughs> sunshiny all the time. And I just, you know, that's kind of just her personality. And so we had talked for a while and right before COVID, I was working on a new Streetwalk and Cheetahs record. I was doing some other stuff. I'm like, you got to do a music video for one of my projects. And then COVID hit and for the first you know, a month or so, it seemed like, well, no one can do anything. Everyone's got to stay home, uh, which we did. But then at some point I was like, I called her up and I was like, well, can you just make me a video at, I mean, the move, the song is about being at home by yourself right. and doing the same things. Couldn't you just grab your phone and like make a video that's just you sitting at home doing it? And like, it'll be funny. You're funny. Like you just go, she was like, yeah, I mean, how much, you know, do you want me to follow the lyrics? I was like, I, you can do it. I, here's the art project. I'm going to give you the song. You know the general <laughs> theme. Do whatever you want. I completely implicitly trust your judgment. And she came back with what you see, that video, Repetition Repeat, and it blew me away. And we're definitely doing more stuff together. And for me, it was just fun to see another artist, like, take my music in a different direction. And, and like, like I said, she has a different color temperature and a different uh sort of sense of humor and it was a nice different approach to see my music because i'm like a dude and i'm always sort of tough <laughs> and dark and you know angry yeah, and stuff we're black in this yeah. yeah like my whole career i've worn black in like every video i've ever done and <laughs> 
and I've been in every video. And I also like the idea that I wasn't in this video. You know, I was, I'm sick of seeing my mug, man. I'm like, Aubrey, you just, you do whatever you want. You be the star of it. You, people want to watch you more than they want to watch me anyway. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I really like that one. Thanks, uh, man. Flatten the curve. So you could, you say this is your, uh, we are the world, uh, project which how many people did you actually have in there it seemed like a hundred people uh it felt like a hundred people <laughs> it was about 31 people and uh although i guess if you include me and bruce the guys that put it together maybe that takes us to 33 but uh the idea started with bruce stuff he plays in my band the street walking cheetahs but he's also a music manager and he's a producer and right at the beginning of COVID, when everyone was essentially told to stay inside, he said, let's do a song and get all the people that have GarageBand and can record or Logic or Pro Tools or whatever, but people that can record at home. Because if you can record at home, you can basically do anything on a click track and then export the stem of your track. And if you send it to another musician and tell them essentially like, hey, this is at 32 BPMs or 132 BPMs or whatever, they can basically create a new session and just fly your track in and add their stuff and it all stays on time and it doesn't get all wonky. Right. Not every musician can do that. It's not, it does not require being especially smart. It just requires having a MacBook Pro and knowing how to do digital recording software and mic things up and blah, blah, blah. Um, so enough of us can do what we thought we could do that. He was not thinking that it was anything like a charity thing. It was just like, let's just do it for fun. I had, I liked the idea of it and it made me think of we are the world. And it made me think of um, what was going on right now. And I was like, well, if we're going to do something like that, we should make it a charity because it's going to get a lot of eyeballs because there'll be a lot of celebrities and musicians on it. If we're going to, get a lot of eyeballs on a one-off track that doesn't even have a band or something to attach, then let's, you know, then like, who cares about the money? Let's just give it to, give it away to people that could use it. Right. So we decided to give the, away the, the money to Music Cares because they were doing a lot of stuff for musicians during this time. Uh, and the, and, and uh, Jubilee, uh, who is also, th these are organizations that were raising money for artists essentially during this time that are struggling. So we wanted to, uh, Jubilee Consortium, um, we wanted to raise money for them and we kind of figured, let's just do this. And if, uh, I guess my thought was just that it's a tense time. So I like this idea of this all-star thing, but it couldn't be a power ballad. It couldn't be a happy song. It couldn't be some pop song. <laughs> let's all stay inside. This is like the stupid man. It, and, and I had just heard that term flatten the curve, which of course now we've heard it a thousand times. But I right. swear at the time I had just heard it and I thought, ooh, that's a cool <laughs> term. No one's going to think of this. And uh, so I wrote this song and I kind of musically, I think I was thinking of like Queens of the Stone Age or the Foo Fighters or something kind of urgent and fast and like poppy, but right. also very like reckless, like a freight train. And so I wrote the demo of this. I made a demo of the song in GarageBand. I sent it to Bruce. It was all on a grid. So then he was able to send out different instrumental versions to other musicians. So we put real drums on it. We had three different bass players, Mike Watt, Norwood Fisher from Fishbone, Steve McDonald from Red Cross and the Melvins. We had all these singers jump on, Josie Cotton, Tony Adolescent from the Adolescents. We got you know, all these musicians, all these guitar players. And it became insane, especially because they were all sending us their tracks separately in different 
like some people were starting theirs at the zero on the grid and some people started at like a minute and a half in and some people's really good quality and some people's really shitty quality and we just had to wrangle it all in and make a song out of it which we did and it came out great and a lot of that's because of bruce stuff and his expert production i mean it was pretty cool i really like how um how the video came out you know well, the uh, video I did here at home on my yeah. MacBook Pro. Obviously, everybody's at home. Everybody's jumping in at their points, and it's just—it's a mishmash of brilliance. I think it's—it's it's, it's pretty man. awesome, it, man. It was another like it must have been pretty damn hard to edit, though. It was a nightmare to do, and I really—it <laughs> was funny because like I absolutely underestimated what a gigantic project it was going to be because I literally was talking to Bruce one day and he like sent me the mix like the final mix and I was just all excited I was like oh man this sounds so great I'm so happy that we got involved this man if you ever want to do a video you tell every artist send me a clip and I'll put together a video he goes really no I mean really you'll do that I'm like yeah why not and I, I just a didn't expect him to take me up on the offer and b thought like yeah like seven or eight people will send in videos no every single person sent in a video and I sent him this spec sheet of like, you know, don't shoot it this way. Don't shoot it that way. Do it like this. Make sure the quality is here. Make sure no matter where your part is, start your video at zero <laughs> so I can just take 30 clips and line them up at zero and, and then A, B in between them instead of no. having to line. Hand, no, everyone that didn't did it happen. To, that didn't happen. No. I got it every which way but loose and I just made it happen somehow. I, I, but again, I, what else did I have to do? It was COVID. I, it, was, it was like a fun project. It took me a week. Like it, it was great. Like I said, I think that's part of the charm of it because it's all different, you know. People are in the living room or wherever, and just it's just all over the place and random. It's 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 great. It was fun too because there's people on there that you would never have on the same song. So the song's called "Flatten the Curve," and if because there's now a million songs called that, if you look it up on Spotify or YouTube, it's FTC "Flatten the Curve." Like the artist is FTC, which sounds like a new wave band, um, but like. You know, Mike Watt from the Minutemen is on the same track as Brian Forsythe from Kicks. Like <laughs> Cherie Curry from The Runaways is on a track, you know, with Screeching Weasel. You know, Fishbone and Jet Boy are on the same track. Like there's just no nowhere except my record collection would <laughs> any of these people be in the same song. But somehow it all comes together and it all it all works. It's pretty awesome. And you know, everybody listening, I'm, I'll have links to to everything that uh, Frank has put out um, on the show info. So just in case you're wondering. Warzone, you're talking about streetwalking cheetahs. Uh, how long have you been with them? I mean, I, I tried to like I tried to look it up. It's like you guys were on and then maybe you had a break and now you're trying to Yeah, we, we, pre, we predate the internet. Uh, we, uh, we started in 1995 when right. I was a wee lad in my mid-20s. And we originally, the reason we were called the Streetwalking Cheetahs is that we were basically going to be a cover band, meaning we'd all played in real bands, right. but none of our bands were going anywhere. And we were all kind of frustrated and just friends. It was my brother Brecken and me and uh, our bass player Dino Everett and our guitarist Art Jackson, who had barely just started playing guitar at the time. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to play guitar. I was like, you should join our <laughs> band. And... I was probably, Dino and I were sort of the most musically sophisticated ones in that we'd actually played in bands, whereas my brother and Art were just kind of like our friends and family that we thought would be fun to hang out with and drink beer and play songs by the Stooges and the Runaways. And so the reason we called ourselves the Streetwalking Cheetahs is because one of the first songs we ever played was uh, uh, Search and Destroy by the Stooges, and that 
opening line is I'm a street walking cheetah with a heart full of napalm. We thought that would be a little more interesting than a guy band called the Cherry Bombs because that was the other first song <laughs> we did was Cherry Bomb by the Runaways. So we started this band and we were mainly at first playing covers for the first few gigs. And then we started writing some originals and just really quickly we got signed and we made a record and then we made a second record and that record got reviewed in Rolling Stone and Spin and suddenly awesome. we like got a booking agent and a manager and we were like touring Europe and touring the States and these bigger bands started like Reverend Horton Heat and the Super Suckers and Fishbone all started like seeing us at gigs and going, oh, you guys are awesome. You should come on this tour with us. And we started getting like festivals and tours and like, you know, we were thinking this is it. This is going to be huge. And it was, it got, it was certainly super fun. Uh, there were moments where it felt like we were on the brink of something big, but it never really kind of got over that hump. And I think after basically 10 years of being told like, you guys are totally going to be huge. And we never <laughs> quite got huge. And if anything, you know, like when you play Missoula, Montana on a Wednesday night for your first time, like it's exciting when you've done it for your seventh time, like, it's not so exciting. I was like, you know, okay, maybe. And we're drawing less people now than we did. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so we just kind of got, fr and then around the time I got married and I, I had my kid and I just kind of, again, I was sort of back to that. I had that thought of, I don't want to be one of these sort of flaky rock and roll dads. And my band isn't doing well enough for me to warrant not being around for my kid. If the band, if I was an Aerosmith, I might've been like, fuck a kid man i'm an aerosmith god damn it i'm joe perry <laughs> but you know i was in the street walking cheetahs like we had a cult following and we had magazines tell us that we were big but like we i could tell you by the attendance on at missoula montana on a wednesday night we were not all that happening so we broke up i continued playing music as i raised my kid i ended up getting into the tv business i wrote a bunch of books on the way i wrote two books about fatherhood actually diaper dude and from dude to dad nice and and I kept playing music. Uh, I did a lot of stuff with this heavy metal guy, Thor. I had a couple other bands along the way. Eventually, the Cheetahs reunited, did a, a tour and a single, and we kind of just never really broke up after that. We just kind of, you know, we always got along. We just was like, okay, right. well, if there's, if there's gigs we want to do, we'll do them. And if there's not, then we won't. And we don't have to make a big production about, like, we're together, we're broken up. It's like, we're just call us if you want us to play. <laughs> so I kept doing the Cheetahs. Eventually, I formed a band in Long Beach called Blind House that was with members of Social Distortion and the Cadillac Tramps, mainly because I didn't want to drive to L.A. every time I had to play music with the Cheetahs. And I kept playing with the heavy metal guy, Thor. And then um, the only real other twist in that, besides just I do a lot of producing, which has me working with all sorts of artists. But... Um, I did, I'm always a big Stooges fan, you know, obviously my band's named after a Stooges song. Right. And I got this, I was playing with Cheetah Chrome from the Dead Boys. I was playing guitar in his band and we got a gig supporting James Williamson from the Stooges and he was gonna do a set of all Stooges songs with guest vocalists. And I get an email one day out of the blue saying, hey, Frank, this is James Williamson from the Stooges. Cheetah Chrome from the Dead Boys says you might be good at singing some of my songs. Are you interested? And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, who the who sent that? And <laughs> so I respond camera? like, yeah, man, I'm interested. So he told me the songs to learn, and I learned them. And I, yeah, I mean, of course, I already knew them. Um, and I went to rehearsal and sang my little heart out, and we got along well. 
The show was at a big theater. It was a dream come true because I do, got to do an opening set with one of my heroes, Cheetah Chrome from the Dead Boys, playing Dead Boys songs, and then came back and got a front, James Williamson, doing Stooges songs with this all-star lineup of all these other singers. Uh, Jello Biafra was there from the Dead Kennedys, Allison Mosewhite from The Kills, uh, Jesse Matlin, you know, really cool, cool night. And if the story had ended there, that would have been great. Except a year later, he calls me up and says, you know, the Stooges are for sure broken up now because they had been doing like the reunion right. circuit for a while. Uh, but the drummer had died and they just said, F it. And he's like, so I'm not going to be working with Iggy anymore. And I need a new, a new front guy to write songs with. I uh, really like working with you. Would you be interested? And again, I'm just like, uh, what yes. the fuck? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Would, I, would me? I be interested in being your new singer? after Iggy uh so that was a fast yes he sent me some songs they went they were great we I wrote them or I wrote my you know, I wrote the lyrics and the vocals and recorded my parts and sent him demos back and he liked it came out to LA we brought Petra Hayden in this great singer and she joined the mix and then once he heard me and Petra sing together he basically said this is a band let's write an album and let's call it James Williamson and the Pink Hearts was what we eventually settled on. And we put out an album and did a couple of videos and did a little tour of the West Coast when the thing came out. And for me as a fan, I mean, he's one of my favorite guitar players ever. So, I mean, the whole Man. thing was like completely mind boggling, quite frankly. That, <laughs> and amazing. I just did a second album with him because he's, he's now doing an album with Dennis Tech from this other great proto-punk band called Radio Birdman. And they needed again just needed someone to collaborate with on this one i wasn't singing they just wanted someone to bounce ideas off of so i ended up co-writing two songs on their new record that's amazing man you've I had a, cool getting those calls man you've done a lot of cool stuff if you had um out of everything that you've done what do you think is your favorite project to this point well my kid i mean you know, she's the she's the ultimate project, and, and and with the highest stakes. If I if I screw that one up, you know what I mean. I could go to jail for yeah, crying yeah. out loud. You can't screw up that one. Uh, no, I mean really for reals. I mean, like I said, I wrote two books on parenting uh, with this guy named Chris Pagula, and one of them is about what men need to know when women are pregnant, and when the other one is about essentially like a how to or a go to guide for what men need to know in the from when their baby's born to age two. And the reason that I wrote those books is that, you know, I mean, obviously, look, as you can tell, I'm a creative guy. <laughs> I'm always working on projects. But uh, besides music, the thing that I am an expert on, the thing that I know a lot about, the thing that I've uh, done a lot of research on and talked a lot about and, and I'm now a, a two-time published author on is, is parenting. And uh, so my experience as a father, my relationship with my daughter, which is an ever-evolving thing it constantly is bobbing and weaving as it will for the rest of our lives together um, but that is by far the most ambitious project I've ever done and it's the one that I'm, I have the most passion for and it's the one that keeps me up at night when it's not going well or makes me absolutely over the moon when it is going well you know yeah that's awesome so, you just have the one daughter Everything else is just fun. You, you know just, what I mean? Like meaning work or fun. That's like, that's real life stuff. You, uh, yeah. Just the one daughter. She's 16 now too. That's why I said it's an ever evolving journey because oh. 16, all of a sudden the whole game changed like last year. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Daughters are, uh, yeah, they're, they're trouble. 
I mean, I have, uh, I've got three kids. My oldest uh, son, he's a senior this year. My daughter is a freshman this year. And my youngest son, he's just in sixth grade. But yeah, I would say daughters are harder than boys. <laughs> well, um, yeah. when she was young, she was super easy. And then in the last year, everything just got very complicated and very dramatic. And that doesn't mean that she's become a bad kid or anything like no, that. No. Like It's not like she's done anything terrible or anything. Um, it's more of just that like, Everything, you know, everything is just much more complex for her. And she's such a much more emotional person now. And she, it's just a different, it's just a different, um, a different relationship in terms of how I deal with her because I'm having to like watch myself a lot more and really think before I talk sometimes. Cause you know, right. I'm a writer, man. I can explain myself very well. And sometimes I'll say something. I'm like, Ooh, that was way too harsh for me <laughs> to said to a 16 year old girl. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I just got to find, I just, I'm still trying to find my balance in this new zone I'm in. You know? And I think they take daughters, take more things to heart. Like I can tell my sons anything, but, uh, I think even though she might not say it, but I think she takes things that I tell her. Like, she thinks I'm harder on her than I am the boys, but mm. it's... Is she it's, the middle one? Yes, and she's that the might middle also, one. That, might, that all might also be the middle kid syndrome, you know what I mean? All yeah. middle kids always kind of get... They might, and that might be right. It might, middle kids do get a lot of, because yeah. by the last kid, everyone's like, ah, fuck it. Let him, yeah. let him hit, let him take a header into the, <laughs> whatever. Oh, yeah. we don't care. You know, the first one you're like, oh my God, no. You yeah. know what I mean? The second one you yell at the kid. The third one you're like, ah, fuck it. Let him fall. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly how it is. <laughs> but you know, it's, I'll tell you what's going to be strange for your boy. I mean, for all of our kids, but for your oldest and my oldest is they're both uh, seniors going into high school now right. meaning i don't know about you but my kid's gonna be doing online only not by choice meaning we, there is no in-person school in long beach uh, wow. until october at the earliest and that's if the government you know if, if, they, if they decide to, to change things uh in october which depending on i mean we don't know if they will it might be all online all year but what they're saying is it's going to be online and then two days a week and then we'll see. Yeah, our school district, they were they give everybody a choice to either uh, school from home or uh, face-to-face learning. They uh, gave us the choice, and then they rescinded that choice. Yeah, well, they they did that, too. They, um, they're now saying until after Labor Day, everybody's at home. Okay. Um, so we'll see if it's so, going to so change. So you guys already started? Yes, we were already started. Oh, okay, yeah, because my kid doesn't start till after Labor Day anyway. Which is but that's ex- normally we she would start before Labor Day. Either ways, they pushed the school back. There were they pushed it back till the week after Labor Day, but they also changed the they flipped on the the online school thing. Yeah, and it's it's I really feel for my son too because he's um he plays in the band. He plays tr- trombone. Oh, right on. And um, very cool. He is, uh, my son, he's real proud. He's part of the loading crew. Like, uh, whenever they pack up all the instruments to uh, go to away games or competitions, um, he's a senior, so he was pointed in charge of that. But uh, they just announced there's going to be no competitions except for a UIL competition. Mm. And there's not going to be any bands at away games. So, um, 
so he doesn't get to load oh, anything. Man. They're just crushed. Yeah. And uh, my you, daughter. Uh, there's not a lot of bands with trombone in it. So you've got to really, you, you got to get your kid, if he's not already into it, into Fishbone. Oh. Uh, one of the greatest we, uh, bands ever with mean trombone. Before, um, it was late last year, uh, I took him. I live in San Antonio, Texas. We we went up to Austin to go see. Um, no, it wasn't Austin. It was here. It wasn't San Antonio. Uh, we went to see uh, Real Big Fish, which I'm oh, a big we, fan oh, I of. toured. I toured with them back in the day. Those are those are fun guys, man. I, I love yeah. that band. One of my favorite bands. We uh, one of the first tours that I ever did out of California because at first, basically, when the Cheetahs started going on the road, we would just rent a van and drive up and down the coast, you know, maybe as far as Portland or Seattle um, or as far down as San Diego. But when we started doing larger tours, we started going out with bigger bands. And then, I mean, we're still just running a band and stuff. But the first couple of times we went out with big, bigger bands, it was Fishbone took us out. And one of the, we did a bunch of dates with Real Big Fish and the Skeletones that were one of the, they were a ska band around then. And uh, who was the other band? There was another. Oh, the Amazing Crown, Royal Crown Review, I think, was one of them. And all right. Amazing Crowns. It was that whole scene of like ska bands and then like all those swing bands in the early 90s. We were touring with a lot of those bands. Yeah, I'm just glad. Um, I've talked about it before, but my, my son, you know, he's he's at the age where he likes to go to concerts now. And that's another thing that kind of sucks, you know, with all this. Yeah, There's really no concerts. Um, Dude, I haven't been to a concert in six months. I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I haven't played one. And, you know, well, I did the acoustic show, which was super fun. And I'm actually, if anyone listening, I don't know when this will air, but uh, I'm going to continue doing those at a club in Long Beach called Deep Piazza's. It's a pizza place, but they also do concerts and have forever. Um, and so they're doing the outdoor concert thing. We're going to do the next one on the 28th of August. Um, my acoustic group, the Frank and Dino show. But I mean, I haven't, my entire life, I've never gone more than, since I was 12 years old, I've never probably gone more than three or four weeks without playing, playing a concert and probably a week or two without going to a concert. So this has just been like, ah, yeah, crazy. It's, it's frustrating. Um, back to the kids with school, like, um, you know, I talked about my son, but my daughter too. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, she's danced. Uh, she did competitions, competition dancing uh, since she was like five. She's a real good uh, tap dancer, and and she made the the dance team for the high school. Like I said, she's oh very cool freshman going in, and it's still like I don't know what's going to happen with them either. No, I don't. It's it's all it's all craziness right now. Yeah, my daughter used to do soccer, um, and she. It's a long story, but she was a goalie and she got an injury and we just made the overall decision to not continue. Um, but uh, thank God, because if she was in the midst of soccer right now, like there'd be no soccer, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, I mean, meaning if her college career was dependent on having a killer senior year in soccer and getting a scholarship, then that plan would no longer be viable. And luckily, due to other circumstances, we had already moved away from that plan. But we might not have had a choice. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just all crazy. Um, one thing I noticed um, just talking to you from here today is, um, I guess, don't be afraid to throw yourself out there. I mean, you, you talked to 
few times about just saying yes, I'll do that, or volunteer yourself, I'll do that. Uh, you think that's think a part you, of 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 yeah, being successful? Uh, I think it is as long as you don't get take advantage of. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I I think it is as as long as you don't take it. I was talking to a friend of mine today actually, and we were saying like we have a friend of ours who never quite like realizes his value, you know, meaning like he's so willing to kind of just work and so, and so enthusiastic that sometimes we'll sell himself short or, or, or drop his rate before anyone's asked him to drop his rate or not even really negotiate. Like someone just comes back and, and, and gives them one counter offer and they go, yeah, you're sure. And I'm like, well, you could counter offer that counter offer a few times. And right, you know, right. that's called haggling. And so you don't want to be so enthusiastic to work that you're selling yourself short. You have to know your strengths. You have to know your limitations and you have to know your value. If you're worth a certain amount, then stick to that because if, if you're the first one to undercut yourself, then everyone will figure out that they can undercut you. Right. If you stick to your guns and go, nope, this is what I'm worth and I know the work I put in and this is what the work is worth. Now you might give your your buddy or a collaborator a bro deal or maybe you do some free work because you need free work on something else. You know, there's all sorts of ways artists work with each other or you give an independent company a different rate than you give a big company because they can't afford you, but right. you want to work with you. So like you can get creative with it, but don't just say yes to everything. I mean, like, I think you have to know your value and you have to hardball people. But I always say you also got to be the one with the best ideas and the first in the door and the last out the door and visibly be the hardest guy working in the room because people recognize that and people want to work with the guy who's having fun working. I always say too, like to other people, I've worked on sets where when I'm a director on a set, everyone around me, is having a good time, although they know their lane and they generally stay in their lane. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> but I make sure everyone knows that they're respected and that their opinion is valued and that they can speak up if they want to. So everyone's having a good time. And because they know I'm the guy who's like working the hardest in the room, no one ever questions if you ask them to work a little harder, ask them to work a little longer, because they know you'll do it too. And they know you're, you're asking because you've got this great idea, you're enthusiastic, and they're just like, yeah, let's do it. If you're just like browbeating everyone or or having this very sterile work environment, then people just want to leave. Usually by lunchtime, they finish their lunch and they're just like, I got to get out of here. I just want to go home, see my kid or see my wife or go get drunk or watch <laughs> blinders or whatever the fuck they're doing with their lives. And so, like, I always say, you know, you got to make work a pleasurable place to be so that you enjoy your job and the people around you enjoy their jobs and that's one thing i think that's a big bummer about all this covid stuff is like I, I can work from home but man i love working with people it's a drag to, to not have a team you know yeah that's that is uh everything you said is true i in my day job i am a supervisor of sorts and uh uh i've experienced the ups and downs of, of what you just talked about so yes i do agree 100 percent. that's definitely the thing i miss the most is or, you know, if we, if we talk about life now versus life, you know, six months ago, um, is the camaraderie and the, uh, you know, the team. I had a killer team at my job. And not to mention, I had a killer team at my job, and I had two functioning bands that are also killer teams who are killer at their job. 
rock and roll. Um, and I haven't been in a room with any of those teams. I mean, I've been in a room with members of my bands when we've recorded, two of us have gotten together to do this and then we send the tracks to this, you know what I mean? I've seen right. them all separately. Um, but I haven't seen my Fender team in forever, and I haven't seen all my guys in the band like in one in a room. I haven't seen anyone from Blindhouse in like six months. Like it really sucks, man. Because like I'm, I can do deal with it work wise. Like my personality, I can just bury my head and work and be like, fuck it, I'm gonna write a hundred songs and make two movies, and I'll do it. And I don't really need anyone to do that. Um, but I'd be lying if I didn't say it's like lonely and that I really, really would love to have my guys and my team, my people around me. Like, you know, I would love to have my, my, uh, my team, you know? Yeah. I think that's the worst thing about this. Like just the social interaction. Yeah. We know we can talk here on uh, zoom or Skype or FaceTime. Uh, but just that one-on-one or just being around people, I think, Dude, when can that. you give someone a hug or a freaking high five or some dap? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's been a while since I've just seen a bro and been like, buddy, what's up? Or seen a, you know, homegirl and been like, hey, what is happening? Like, you know, I mean, I miss, I, I miss the, and look, my rock and roll band was known for fucking shit up. Like that is <laughs> literally my job. I get on stage. I dismantle the stage. I'm on top of you. I am sweating on you. I am bleeding on you. It is a fucking free for all. Like I I don't even know if I could ever do that again, quite frankly. It's, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, my whole act was based on physical contact. That is what the Streetwalk and Cheetah, not, I mean, that's not how I play music. That right. is what my band, the Streetwalk and Cheetahs, did. Our act was high octane, high energy, sweaty, in your face, beer soaked, blood and guts, rock and roll. And it could get ugly and, and it always gets messy, but everyone's having a good time. No one gets hurt. But I don't know if in 2021, if we could even do that type of show, like even if clubs open up again, I don't know that I'd feel comfortable jumping out into the crowd and sweating all over people. I know, like, man. And I, I, and I, God forbid someone with a respiratory problem that didn't expect that, you know, freaks out because you touched them or something. You know what I mean? Like, or I coughed on someone when I was on stage or something. So like, I think that's what know, I'm man. more concerned about, world, man. Yeah, that's what I'm more concerned about what the future lies. I mean, I, I still believe whether it's this goes away or not, I think masks are uh, probably going to be a normal thing now. Um, and like you said, people are not going to want to touch other people or don't want to be touched. Uh, Concerts, no mosh pits. I mean, I I mean, I don't know. No more running up to the, up to the stage. It it was funny when we played that acoustic gig a few weeks ago, you know, everyone's seated they're all tables. And if people are getting up to go to the bathroom, for the most part, they're putting masks on. Everyone was being pretty respectful. And there was these two kids skateboarding in the street that was kind of next to the patio we were playing. And they didn't have masks on, but they weren't near anybody and they were skateboarding, so they weren't even near each other. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. meaning it it was socially distant. They were fine. Um, Last song of our little acoustic set, we do an Iron Maiden song because what's more ridiculous to play <laughs> acoustically than an Iron Maiden song? It just works and people get a kick out of it. And um, we, we announce it and these two kids go like, whoa, Maiden! And they come skating over and they come running over like they're going to like start a pit. And I'm going like, oh, shit, here it comes. And they put masks on. Whoa. And then the two of them just formed their own little pit for a minute. Just the two of them didn't get near anyone and had masks on. And I was like, 
Hey, socially responsible mosh pit. I like these kids. <laughs> nice, nice. Now, I don't know if you could do that with more than two kids. You know, it worked because yeah. it was two kids that were obviously were already together and they weren't infecting anyone else and they had masks and there wasn't sweat because it was outdoors. And, you know, as soon as you put that into a inside club, it's going to be a big, huge swirling pit and you're not going to be able to control it. Yeah. Who knows what the future lies? Not me. Iron Maiden <laughs> probably does. Uh, you, speaking of that, you, you should uh, record that. I'd like to hear that acu- acoustic Yeah, I version. think we're going to. We're. I think we're going to put out an uh, like an EP of our like acoustic versions of metal and punk classics. We do a bunch of heavy metal and punk songs that, that I think have people, no right to be acoustic. I think people would dig that, man. <laughs> yeah, I like it. When I close the show, I like to do a little thing I call it, um, Dork Dad Questions, which is just... 10 random questions that could be about anything. No right or wrong answers. So we could just run through these. And uh, oh, You haven't heard my answers yet. They could be very wrong. <laughs> um, like I said, these are just something I made up just out of the sure. blue here. So we'll start with the first one. New York or Chicago style pizza? I'm going to go New York. I like myself a New York slice. All right. People don't like Chicago. It's more like a... I like it's, all pizza. It's like a pie. It's a literal pizza pie. I, I have no issues with deep dish, but I would say I'm probably more of a sucker for uh, for a New York slice. And just pepperoni? Just straight yeah, up? I like it all. I mean, I certainly love pepperoni, but uh, but I, I, I'm pretty open with you. The only thing I don't like on pizza is pineapple. And I like pineapple. I just don't like it on pizza. <laughs> I almost made that a question. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's see. Number two, uh, do you know what the Mandela effect is? Uh, God, I, I'm going to, I know it hasn't, I, I know it's not directly related to Nelson Mandela. I believe what it, it is. is. It, well, it is and it isn't. Isn't it sort of the, and forgive me if I'm wrong on this, isn't it the sort of um, revising of history due to sort of mass um, uh, sort of consciousness being wrong, meaning like some people think that Mandela's alive and some people think he's dead and some people think he's in jail and some people yeah. think he didn't. And some so, people think that like the, uh, what was, there's one logo that's a good example where everyone thinks there's Oscar the Mayer. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I have read yeah. about that. I, I just would, meant that it's not about Nelson Mandela as a man. It's about this idea that, you know, people have this idea that, um, that certain things changed over time and that it may or may not be some larger conspiracy and or sort of. Right. I was just going to ask if you knew what it was and which one do you swear is true, but maybe, I don't know. Cause oh, like, okay. What, what, what do I swear is true? What do you mean? Oh, uh, if you knew of any and uh, which one oh. like you, you swear uh, is true. Cause there's one, um, we are the champions. A lot of people think, that song ends with uh, "In the World," which it doesn't. Oh, interesting! Of the world, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think that you can generally chalk that up to just people being wrong about stuff. But that that some things, enough people are wrong about it that it just they forget what's right. 
You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, people yeah. shorthand stuff. People like you hear a chorus a thousand times. You just assume it's that way. And then like, yeah, people forget like, the, okay, on the very last chorus, they don't do this one thing or, you know, like people shorthand the name of a logo and they just always in their head go like, oh, Frito-Lay or Aunt Jemima or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then you look at the logo and you're like, oh, actually it's this. It's some, it's not quite, I think wasn't, wasn't Cup of Soup one of them? I think uh, Cup of Soup is one of them where maybe. it's not actually called Cup of Soup. It's called cup, something. Cup of noodles. Or all, yeah, or something, something like that. But we all call it like cup of noodles or cup of soup. And it's like, technically, it's not that. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, it's just because people are kind of dumb and in a hurry. The, the, <laughs> you know what I mean? The craziest. And people, and people, and, you know, and the Mandela effect, you know, I hate to say this. You know who doesn't, you know who's not unsure about Nelson Mandela? Anyone that's not white. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only people who are, questioning the history of Nelson Mandela, let's be real, <laughs> white people. Because they didn't do their fucking homework. Again, <laughs> laziness. Pop culture laziness is usually the answer to most of this stuff. All right, see. Uh, question number three. Betty or Wilma? Ooh, that's a, that's a solid question. <laughs> um, I got to tell you, as a youth, I would have said Betty because I always thought of Betty as the hot one, but yes. I didn't realize until later in life that I'm a redhead guy. Like I, <laughs> I didn't realize I was a redhead guy until I dated three redheads in a row. And my, my friend, my, my friend as a girl was like, you know, you're a redhead guy. I'm like, I'm not, a, <laughs> I guess I'm a redhead guy. So now I gotta say, I, I, I gotta say Velma because she's a redhead. I've, I've been a Betty Betty fan the whole time. So. I mean, well, who's not a Betty? Fan? <laughs> That's why uh, they messed up in that movie casting Rosie Perez. I mean, um, yeah, not uh, yeah. Rosie O'Donnell. Sorry. Yeah, they actually Rosie Perez would have been a great. Yeah, that would have been a better one. <laughs> like a spunky, spunky <laughs> Latina Betty, just frying panning Barney upside down the head. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. Love it. All right. Let's see number four. Uh, which decade had the best music? Seventies, eighties, or nineties? I'm gonna go with the seventies. Yeah, uh, I I had certainly love a lot of eighties music and a lot of nineties music, but I mean, Jesus, man, seventies had Zeppelin and classic Van Halen and the Sex Pistols and the New York Dolls and the Stooges and Leonard Skinner and Miles Davis. I mean, it's the seventies. In fact, unquestionably, it's the seventies. Plus. All the great people from the 70s made their shittiest records in the 80s. So, you know what I mean? Like, there, there's no one in the 80s that made, there's no one, there's no one from the 70s that made better records in the 80s. So, if that just goes to show you, like, I've been saying, I think the 70s and the 90s were a fine time, but the 90s, we also had the spin doctors. So, let's not get too out of it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's see. Number five, if you had the chance to time travel, but only once, would you go in the past or would you go in the future? Ooh, oh, that's a really good question. I think I would go to the past because I, I can think of a bunch of things from the past that I would have liked to have seen or been or experienced like i don't know if i necessarily want to go to the past for my own means like i'd like to go to the past and rewrite my own history it's more like i would have liked to have gone and seen Jimi hendrix play guitar yeah, i would yeah. like to have gone and seen like the stooges 
play a concert or the New York Dolls at the, you know, like in their prime or the MC5 or like, or Van Halen with David Lee Roth at the Whiskey when they were like an unsigned band or, you know, like one of those like things where you just like, I think that, because in the future, who the hell knows, man? You know what I mean? Like right. you, you might go in the future and all of a sudden it turns out we all died of the pandemic. You yeah. know what I mean? Or, you know, turns out like, you know, L.A. burnt down to the ground in the, <laughs> you know, in the riots of 2023 when Donald Trump wouldn't leave office. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? Like, I'm just saying, I don't know. I, the way the present is going, I'm terrified of the future, but I would love to go back to 1968. I just think the past. I'd like to see Sly and the Family Stone at the, at the Fillmore. That's what I'd like to do. And I think that. No, back in the day, it was just simpler times. Um, and you knew, you would know what you're getting into if you go backwards, whereas yeah. who knows what the hell you're getting into in the future. Yeah. I mean, you could say that about life, but <laughs> let's, yeah. not get, let's not get crazy. Number six, if you had the chance, maybe you already answered this. <laughs> if you had the t- chance to jam with any band, dead or alive, who would it be? Ooh. Uh, jam <laughs> with any band. Well, my my instinct would just be to say my favorite band or, you know, like me, but except like meaning like I'd love to say I would love to jam with Van Halen, except yeah. that mean I would be the David Lee Roth role and half the fun <laughs> of jamming with Van Halen would be to jam with David Lee Roth. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like if you were like, I'd like to jam with Hendrix, like no one wants to jam. I don't want to jam with Hendrix. Jam- I would last two seconds with Hendrix and I'd just be like, oh, man, <laughs> I don't even that's, I forget that, it. you know forget yeah it. so i feel like, like or like the stooges like i'd love to have seen the stooges or some you know one of those cult bands but again like what would i do in the stooges like the second guitar player that's not quite as iconic you know yeah. so as i think about your answer i think that i would like to play in an ensemble band like like a bigger band that I something I couldn't do in my normal life and something where I wouldn't in order to do it be replacing my hero in that band like I would love to jam with Megadeth but you know I I can't be Dave Mustaine and Dave Mustaine does not need me you know what I mean (laughs) so uh I think I would want to play in an ensemble like I would want to play in like Sly and the Family Stone or the Mm. James Brown band like the like the JB's you know what I mean? Because like that's something I've never done on guitar just for an hour and a half. Just been like, don't, 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 yeah. don't. Like I'd like to play like the Commodores or something like just something yes. out of my pocket that forces me to step my game up instead of just like, I'd like to play with, a, you know, my heroes band. Cause then it's like, well, no one, you know, you know, I don't think you do want to play with your hero because inevitably that <laughs> your heroes are going to yell at you at some point <laughs> fucking up. And then you're going to be like, man, uh, Iggy Pop yelled at me. <laughs> Whereas if you were in Sly and the Family Stone or Funkadelic, that would be a great Ooh, band yeah. to be in. Funkadelic or P-Funk Parliament. Because then you're just like one of 14 guitar players up there just doing whatever you want to do. That seems fun to me. So I'm going with like a funk band. I want to play in like Sly and the Family Stone or Parliament Funkadelic or Fishbone or, you know, like a funk band. Number seven, if you could be a member of any sitcom family, what would it be? Ooh, uh, boo, let's think. That's a good one. Um, I sure have a lot of sitcoms. The problem is a lot of my favorite sitcoms don't translate well into the modern era. <laughs> like, I loved Three's Company as a kid, oh, yeah. but that is 
a very homophobic show and I don't know how I would fit in there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That was a great and show. It wasn't, it, it, don't get me wrong. It wasn't intentionally being homophobic. It's just that times have changed and you couldn't make that show yeah. now and do a whole show about like, what if our roommate was gay? Like now people would be like, yeah, what if your roommate's gay? We got so a problem with that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like when I think of my favorite sitcoms, I go, Oh, that one? No, you can't do that. Oh, this one? No, you can't do that. <laughs> so uh, maybe Cheers, because Cheers, I could just sit at a bar all the time. You know, that's, I'm going with Cheers, because, I mean, really, that's just what I want to do anyway. Just that's sit the perfect situation. Laugh with my friends. And when I walk in, everyone goes, Frank! <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. That kind of leads into the next question. Uh Jack Black or Jack Daniels? Ooh, well, I love Jameson whiskey, and I'm, despite Jack Daniels being the drink of choice of my hero, Diamond David Lee Roth, I don't particularly like that Jack Daniels. I, I think I find it sort of sugary. Um, and don't get me wrong, when I was a, a teenager, I would I would go toe to toe with anyone with Jack Daniels. <laughs> but these days, I'm a Jameson man, so by default then I got to go with Jack Black. And I do like Jack Black uh, a lot. When Tenacious D first came out and Mr. Show, which he was a part of Mr. Show, um, I was a big, big, big fan of that whole L.A. comedy scene and the Groundlings and Bob Odenkirk and Mr. Show. And and so, yes, I do like Jack Black a lot, and I don't particularly like Jack Daniels. So. All right. Jack but Black's... really, the, the, the answer is really Jameson. <laughs> yeah, Jack Black's great. Um, yeah, I love Jack Black. That was I actually, saw Tenacious D a bunch of times. Yeah, that was actually the last concert we saw. That one we saw in Austin, me and my son. Oh, that's cool. You know what? Yeah. I had tickets to see them on that same tour in L.A., and I had to work that night, and I had to give my ticket away. Um, yeah. But I was I had to have been the same tour because it was right before COVID. Yeah, the post-apocalypto. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Awesome. Let's see. Number nine. What's the better superpower? Super strength or super speed? Oh, uh, I guess in well, essence, I guess in essence, wh- Superman or Flash. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, have you watched The Boys on Amazon Prime? Yes, that's a great show. It's a great show. And based on everything I learned from that show, I'm gonna go with <laughs> super strength. Because it seemed like the 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 fast guy in that had all sorts of problems. Now, granted, I think he was also messed up, but um, but you remember he like you know ran through that woman and made her explode. <laughs> so I feel like high speed could get you in more trouble because you might not always be in full control when you're going that fast. And plus, like I mean, yes, there could be circumstances where you need to race to somewhere, but if you don't have the super strength to back it up, who cares? Meaning, like, let's say uh a train was being derailed and about to hit your child and you somehow, and I don't know the circumstance where you would get this sort of heads up on such a situation, but somehow in true comic book fashion, you had the heads up to race there and stand in front. But if you don't have super strength, you're still getting hit by a train. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Whereas Superman has because his entire body is super strength, he could just super run or super jump and get there pretty damn fast <laughs> and then stand in front of the train or like jump on the train or throw the goddamn train or something. 
So I want I want the super strength. Because, besides, there's just something badass about always knowing you can beat someone up. Like I was, you know what I mean? Like I'm not a big strong guy, so I always got out of getting in fights by talking you know what i mean like if i mouth <laughs> off and someone was like what'd you say to me motherfucker i'd be like oh well and then all of a sudden let's have a shot okay we're cool but i in the back of my head i'm i always wish that i was just a big tough guy and i'd be like i said you can go fuck yourself and your chick's ugly and he's what the fuck i'm like what are you gonna say about it bro and like there would be something cool about being the size of you know that dude on game of thrones the dothrakian who's just like the size of a house yes yeah. like what 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 is that i mean what is that life like? How do you, if you just walked around knowing at all times, you're the biggest, strongest, no one can touch you. No one can mess with you. Every girl wants you. Like, That's I mean, I life. guess you'd have to, you'd kind of have to be an asshole. Cause how probably could you not is. be? You probably you have is. To be. You have to be. Cause <laughs> what, what do you ever challenge? No one ever says no to you. Yep. He's dating Lisa Bonet now for crying out loud. She's the yep. most beautiful woman when I was a kid. And is still the most beautiful woman. And he got her. Lenny Kravitz <laughs> and then him. What the fuck, man? That pisses me off to no end. That was Sorry, one of my... I don't uh, know how we got on that subject. <laughs> that was one of my childhood crushes, man. The Cosby I'm, show. Are you kidding? Yes. Well, yeah. unfortunately, Bill Cosby ruined that experience for all of us. But <sighs> that girl was a childhood crush. And then she was in a great movie called Angel Heart. And then she married Lenny Kravitz and they were like the coolest rock and roll hippie couple in the 90s. And then I don't really know what happened to her except now she's dates the Dothrakian from Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I'm just like, that just makes her like the most badass gal of them all, yeah. right? She's the coolest. Her, uh, her daughter is gonna be uh, supposed to be Catwoman. In the I know, and her daughter was in Mad Max. Which yeah. was also really cool. That whole family's cool. Hopefully, we'll get some uh, trailer or something. I think DC has something going on today. Where, um, uh, oh, for Catwoman? For the Batman movie? I mean, I mean, for ba- she's playing Batgirl. Is that what you said? Uh, or Catwoman? Catwoman. Catwoman. So hopefully, we'll I'm get something it. on that. What's her name? Zoe. Zoe uh, Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Yep. Hey man, so she, that. That girl has two cool parents. You want to talk about what kind of pressure? I mean, she turned, seems like she turned out just fine and she's got like style and she's really pretty and she's a talented actress. So she's obviously doesn't have any big hangups, but imagine having parents as cool and good looking and multi-talented as Lenny Kravitz and Lisa Bonet. Wouldn't you just wake up every day and be like, I suck. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm the worst. I didn't even write a hit song or it was in an iconic sitcom today. <laughs> Let's see. What was the next question? <laughs> Last question. Went off on a tangent there. Last question. Yes, sir. Finish this line. Right? You got to uh, fight. You, don't we need to be in person to do that? Oh, I see <laughs> what you mean. Because <laughs> uh, drugs. <laughs> All right. You got to fight for your right to what? Well, I'm a Beastie Boys fan, so of course it's party. All right. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm I, I'm down with the King Ad Rock. I am a Beastie Boys man through and through. I check my head. My communication is ill. <laughs> hey, well, that was been a, a lot of fun, man. Uh, Thanks, man. Again, I appreciate your uh, taking some time out of your such busy day. Yeah, no worries. Today, I have spent my day 
uh, I'm doing a Tom Petty cover with Eddie Spaghetti of the Super Suckers. Wow. And I am dialing in the snare sound today because one of the um, interesting things of recording in COVID is that a lot of studios aren't open. So we've had to kind of come up with creative ways to record drum kits. And so I've got dudes going into like basements and just putting three mics on a kit and submixing them. And then they send me the files and I try to EQ the shit out of it and make it sound great. And so the whole day today, I've been EQing this live drum track, attempting to find the snare drum sound in there. I'm jealous. Um, I wish I was uh, musically inclined. You know, I, I tried at one point as a kid and went and bought a, those little cheap starter electric, electric guitar kits and uh, tried to learn and yeah it didn't work my son he's actually taking lessons so he's learning but um yeah well i will say that i mean you know to to give my old job a shout out that fender plays app does make learning guitar and ukulele and bass incredibly easy and it's a very good experience doing it. I wish that I had had that when I was a kid. So if he's looking to get into guitar, I would absolutely recommend uh, Fender Play. You, and you can, I think nowadays you can get like three months for free. So if, if he wasn't mm. into it, you can ditch it. Um, but also, I got to tell you, man, for you, I would say if you have a MacBook Pro, get GarageBand or Logic. If you don't have a MacBook Pro, you can use Logic with virtually other, any other computer. And if you get... I have this, I bought this, this is a tiny little MIDI keyboard right. and I just bought it, it's been like $35. I mean, it was a cheap little keyboard. The entire repetition repeat song was made on this. And wow. it's literally the way with GarageBand is, is like you plug in, you pick a tempo, you fast, slow, whatever you, there's, there's imaginary drummers. So if you're like, Hey, I want to write a rock song. There's literally an, like, a long-haired rock drummer you click on and then you know he's got beats and you just pick the beat you want you drag it in the timeline and then if you're not someone that can play guitar or sing if you get these little keyboards you can just it's got all these presets so you can play bass play guitar play keyboards you know it's right. gonna, some of it might sound more authentic i mean you know if you play guitar through a keyboard it doesn't quite sound like guitar but it sounds pretty good you can certainly get some ideas up and running that way so if you're musically inclined or want to try but you don't necessarily play an instrument these days because in the old days it's like well you'll learn how to play keyboards you're like well that's not fucking easy but <laughs> nowadays i'm like no you don't even really know how to play you don't have to know how to play keyboards you just have to have a keyboard and a recording thing and kind of just know how to basically record a keyboard because then you can cut and paste everything. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. just sit there and tap the shit out and it could be all wrong and then you can just draw it all in and move shit around because it's all digital anyway. So you're not playing anything. And everything you play when it's MIDI is just sitting there on a grid. So if you're computer savvy, but not musically savvy, you realize so much of it's visual. And you're right. like, oh, well, I'll just move the notes around until they sound right. And that's a different, it's, that's still counts. That's still making music. I still may try it. Yeah, um, so give it a try, man. Just go get yourself a cheap little MIDI keyboard, plug it into GarageBand. You can always give me a call. I'll walk you through a few little tips, but it's an easy way to get up and running. Is there anything you want to promote or anything you have going on um, coming up, coming out soon? 
Uh, well, I, I would tell people that if uh, any of the videos or music that you're hearing through this podcast seems interesting to you, this is all stuff I'm making at home and I'm producing at home. Uh, and then the videos are stuff I'm either making at home or collaborating with some of my other artist friends. Um, but I'm kind of at this point like a one-stop shop of production in terms of music editing, sound editing. I've been doing radio promos and commercials here and stuff because I can do sound design and sound editing. And I've got outboard gear and I've got, you know, uh, all the laptop stuff, but also gigantic Marshall stacks of amplifiers and stuff. <laughs> so I can kind of be as digital or as analog as I want to be. Um, and like I said, it's not just music. I'm doing lots of editing and film editing and sound design and stuff. So you can find me at Instagram at the Frank Meyer, or you can just email me at the, at, uh, the Frank Meyer at gmail.com. And, uh, and on Facebook, I'm Frank M Meyer. Um, but basically at this point, I'm just trying to kind of hustle and get work until production gets back to normal. I mean, it's, t it's rough for a lot of people in my business, in my field right now, because, um, some productions are slowly crawling back, right. but it's very limited staffs and it, a lot of companies just took a big financial hit. So it's limited budgets and people are having to cut their rates or they're having to cut their teams in half to accommodate for distancing and safety and stuff, which of course is understandable, but there's a lot of people out of work right now. And we don't even know when the entire industry will be back to normal, if it ever will, or at what point it will be kind of like where it was. So learning to work at home, I think is important for all of us in any industry right now and learning to be self-sufficient at work and not have to depend necessarily on getting hired to do things in the traditional sense of having a day job versus being an independent contact or freelancer work from home. There's, there's ways you can do it these, these days. Um, so I don't know, I guess I would just tell other artists like me to just keep keep your head up and keep grinding. And uh, shit, man, if you need some help, give me a shout. All right. So again, I want to say thank you to Mr. Frank Meyer for coming on the show. And until next time, I'll see y'all later. You've been listening to the Dork Dad Podcast. Please remember to follow, like, subscribe, and share with your friends. Until next time, keep it dorky. Dorky.